Good morning, everybody. You guys all doing good today? I'll be in the interest of full disclosure. I will tell you that uh, about six hours ago, I was curled up in a ball on my living room floor, wishing that the Lord would take me home right then. I have had something, some kind of intestinal thing, and last night it was, it was crushing. feel much, much better today, but that's why I've got my tea there, and so I may be a little off, so I appreciate your, your grace and your mercy for that today. God is so good in the middle of the night last night, just lifting up prayers to him, and our prayer team was covering me in prayers, and I know a lot of, a lot of you were, and uh, I, I felt it, so it's got me through the night, and so that's, that's good. So welcome, everybody. Um, we are going to continue in, uh, in the book of Romans. I'm going to do a little bit of background on that, but before I get to that, I just want to do kind of a little public service announcement in a way, if you will. Um, I'm not really one that's big into like, well, what day is it? Today's National Donut Day. Today's National <laughs> This Day. Today's, you know, it seems like every day that you look at the calendar, there's some kind of day going on, or there's somebody's got their own special color ribbon to commemorate this or that, and sometimes it can become kind of fatiguing. Uh, but I saw something that reminded me on Facebook of all places just this morning, and it made me think about it. So today, today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's actually the 74th anniversary of the Allied troops liberating Auschwitz. And that's the things that went on there and the things that were done in the name of the Lord are outrageous. And that's, that's a whole other thing to go into. But here's what the Lord spoke to me about that. Those people, it's easy to look at uh, even Adolf Hitler, to be honest with you, to look at him, to look at the people that, that were under him, subordinate to him, who were carrying out these missions and just immediately just label them as evil. They're all just evil. Now, I'm sure there was an element to that, but they thought they were doing God's work. The vast majority of them thought they were doing God's work. But here's the point that I want to make. The reason that that was allowed to go as far as it did is because good people who knew better did nothing. Good people who knew that that wasn't right, let it happen. Okay, now there's a balance because we are told by the word, we are told to honor our authority, to submit to our authority. All authority is placed by God for his purposes. But that does not mean that we check our conscience at the door. That doesn't mean that we just go with whatever happens. It's our job as Christians to stand up when we see something that isn't right. Okay, and that can be something obviously huge like that. It can be down to something as simple as, as I saw some articles that were going around this morning about teaching sex education in schools. Okay, now I'm not going to go down that road. We are, not a, we are not a social activism church. That's not our mission. But when you read things like that or you hear things that are going on in your school district, in your state, in your backyard, anywhere that you have any influence at all, you need to do what's right, which means seeking the Holy Spirit, having him guide you through it. Because it's one thing just to see everything and just run out and go, I'm going to put a picket, flat, you know, picket sign up. I'm going to put some really venomous posts on Facebook. I'm going to do all these things. If they're not guided by the Holy Spirit, if they're not led by the Holy Spirit, they're led by somebody else, 
which means either the flesh in you or it literally means that Satan is guiding what you're doing and he's going to use it for his purposes. So if we're going to do the right thing and stand up and do the right thing, that right thing needs to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to point that out. There are so many avenues where we could actually teach entire messages about things like that that are going on in our community. But it all boils down to us listening to the Holy Spirit and being faithful to what we hear. Amen? So, okay. So let's get, in, let's get into the message. Um, we're in the book of Romans. Okay, and for those of you who uh, maybe are new here or haven't been for a little while, um, we are working through Romans roughly chapter by chapter. There's some, there's some overlap. But Romans is an amazing book because Romans is one where the Apostle Paul wrote it, wrote it as a letter, okay, called, sometimes called an epistle. And the word epistle just means letter. And just like any time we write a letter, we're writing that letter to someone for a reason, right? We don't just decide we're going to sit down and just, I'm just going to dispense all the wisdom I have and just throw it to the wind and see what happens. We write letters for a reason, and the Apostle Paul is no different. He's writing this letter to the Romans, and by Romans I mean the church in Rome. It's a fledgling church at this point, made up of a wide variety of different people from different backgrounds. And he's writing to them to try and get them all on the same page. Now, it's an interesting book because Paul is writing to these guys some very in-depth knowledge, some very personal knowledge of the things that they're going through. But he's never met them. He's never been there. They've never met him. Most of them don't even have any idea who he is. He's just some guy writing a letter So at the very beginning, he has to introduce himself. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is who I am. So that he can have some authority when he writes this letter. And he's writing it to make sure they're all on the same page. Okay, this church in Rome, this this new fledgling church is made up of a couple different groups of people. It's made up of a bunch of Jews who, Jews by culture, by birth, by background, they call themselves Jews, but they've come to know who Jesus Christ is. And they want to walk forward in that direction. Then it's a whole other group of what we call Gentiles or Greeks, sometimes referred to the same way in the word. And these people are new to the game. They're new to the party. They're so happy to to be able to have a savior that they're just walking in all that freedom because they've come from various backgrounds, polytheism where they're worshiping Zeus or, or pottery or like I said last week or whatever it is they're worshiping. Now they're happy to be in a place where the revelation of who Jesus is is being made to them. But there's tension. There's tension in the room because the Jewish half says, hey, we've spent our whole life pursuing righteousness and following the law and knowing who God is and all this. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So he's our, he's our prize that we've been promised all these years. And then there's all these other people, the, these Gentiles who are coming in who maybe just heard of it last week, and and they're supposed to have equal footing with us? And this is causing some problems. So this is where we are. That's kind of the the setting that the the, the whole book of Romans goes through. Okay. Now, if you you want to crystallize what the entire book is about, because remember, we call it a book, the book of Romans, but it's a letter. It's a letter that that Paul sat down and he penned to this church. And so If you want to look at one common theme throughout this whole book or this whole letter, it's that righteousness is a gift from God. Righteousness, which means justification, which means being made right with him. Being declared innocent 
being, being beneficiaries of the sacrifice that Jesus did. That's what that means. So if we want to look at that whole thing, that means that that's a gift from God. It's nothing that we can work for. It's nothing that we can accomplish on our own. And this is where we are when we start out. So in chapter 2, last week we did, uh, we did chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul kind of ends up that letter. The whole thing was kind of directed towards the Jewish part of the room. And he's basically telling them, look, the fact that you are Jews by birth and by culture and, and you followed the law and you've made this your entire life has been focused around, around observing the law, that doesn't necessarily make you better than anyone else. So if you're a Jew in the room and you're hearing this and you've spent your whole life 24-7, everything you do is somehow guided by your religious beliefs. And now Paul is telling you, that doesn't count for much in the kingdom. Because these people who are new to it, maybe yesterday, maybe last week or last year, but they're new to the game and they don't know the law like you do. They get the same benefit that you do. And that your righteousness and your ability to uphold the law is not going to count for much in the kingdom. And so this is one of the ways where we know that the Holy Spirit himself had to guide Paul in this, in these letters. You know, it's said time and time again that, that the Holy Spirit guided the writers or the authors. So all the various authors of different books and epistles in the, in the Bible they were literally guided by the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways we know this is because they write about things that they had no way to know. They address audiences. They write letters that hit these people right where, they're, right where they are, right where they're thinking. And he actually, in this letter from a thousand miles away, from a whole different city that he's never been to Rome, never met most of these people, and yet as he goes through, he's anticipating where they're thoughts are going. And so like any good letter, again, you follow a train of thought. And when we follow through this book, you can follow Paul's train of thought as we go through. But it's so amazing to see how it's guided by the Holy Spirit. So the very first thing, as I said last week, we ended up with him saying, hey, being a Jew isn't going to save you. Your adherence to the law, your knowledge of the law, that's not going to save you. And he starts to think, I may be about to lose the room. They may be looking at this going, okay, I'm done. Throw his letter away because he's just discounted everything that they are, right? So he starts out Romans 3 with this. Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then if some did not believe their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? So what he's saying here is, is, yes, there is a benefit. There is a great benefit to being a Jew by culture. Great benefit. Because there was a lot that went along with that. You didn't just lightly say, I'm a Jew, or, or be a Jew by heritage. No, you were born into it. But there was circumcision. There was daily temple. There was remembering, you know, memorizing the Torah, there were all these things. It wasn't an easy thing that you just did lightly. So he says, the benefits of this are great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Oracles just means truths, the very, the very word, the, the truth of God. 
He's saying that you as a Jewish people were entrusted with that. You were caretakers of that. Now, it's been a long time since that law was first handed down to you, and you've gone different ways with it, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But you were the caretakers, and you were the caretakers for a time like this, where the law can actually be fulfilled now, and we can see the life in it. So that's what he's saying here. So what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? When he's saying not believe, he's not saying you don't believe in God. He's not saying anything like that. What he's saying is that if you don't adhere to the things that the law had said, if you don't faithfully follow the law, just the fact that you're not doing that doesn't nullify God's faithfulness, does it? Because there had been some pretty bad behavior going on in the Jewish community. We had seen time and time again where they didn't, they didn't fulfill what looked like God's chosen people, right? What, what those people would do. They were not acting that way. But he's telling them, just because some people didn't understand, didn't understand their, their special, their chosen position, and didn't live that way, it doesn't nullify God's faithfulness, which I think is something that we can take away. Because how many people do we know who know the word, Know the law, if you will. They know what they ought to do, but they don't live that way. But a large percentage of those people want to beat someone else on the head because they're doing it worse than they are. They want to walk around exhibiting self-righteousness like, I know the law. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, some of the most unloving, shall I say, people that I know are also some of the most educated people I know. And I'm not talking about university education. I'm talking about, I've been to this Bible study. I've been to this class. I studied under this teacher. I've been to this. I've done that. They want to tell you all these seminars and everything that they've done, which basically they're, they're pumping up their personal resume, their own self-righteousness, if you will, so that they can say, okay, now I'm standing in a place where I've got all this resume, and now I can tell you how to live your life. So many of us get hurt by that. My own my own um, understanding of who Jesus was and coming to him and giving him my heart, it was delayed for decades because I kept running into a succession of people like this who could quote the law to me, who knew the law back and forth to me, but they did it absolutely without love. It came from a place of self-righteousness. And what I saw is, I don't need that. I can get that anywhere. Why would I do that? So he's telling them here, just because some don't handle what they've been entrusted with, this gift that they've been given by heritage or by grace, this gift they've been given, they don't treat it right, that doesn't nullify God's goodness. So we need to understand that. When we put our trust and our faith in an individual, we're almost always going to be let down because we're flawed. No matter how good we are, we're not Jesus. So that's where our trust needs to be. So again, after he's talked to him about all this, um, he's, he's guided by the Holy Spirit, and he kind of anticipates what their next question is going to be, their next move. And he's saying this based on the fact that they have, they have flat out right in different situations come out and said this, and so we have our next scripture here, Romans 3, 5. 
But if our unrighteousness, he's kind of speaking in the third term like he's one of them. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what should we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? And he actually adds that at the bottom. I'm speaking in human terms, meaning, okay, this isn't thus saith the Lord. This is, this is me saying this. And what he's doing is quoting a thought that's been going around among them that, look, we know we haven't done things right. We know that we've been less than faithful to the law, shall we say. We know we haven't been as loving as we ought to be. We know all this. But if you think about it, the fact that we are like that and God hasn't just wiped us from the face of the earth proves how good God is, right? This is their mindset. Our bad behavior only serves to highlight how good and holy God is. This is where they are. And Paul is, Paul is essentially mocking him, being a little snarky in this, in like here. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? They think they're doing God a favor. Because when they transgress and they do bad things, and yet God doesn't just smite them off the face of the earth, it just proves how good and faithful God is. Do they have a point? Think about that. How many of us think these things sometimes? We may not consciously think that thought, I'm going to do bad so that God can seem good in comparison. We may not consciously think that, but if you go back, and, and can we really blame the Jewish people for thinking that way? Because if you go all the way back throughout their history, they were rebellious, and God still loved them. They outright broke the law that he gave them, and God still loved them. They worshiped false idols, and God still loved them. They were mean to one another and to outsiders, not showing God's love to his children, and he loved them anyway. So can you really blame them for starting to think that, hey, pretty much we, we know we're God's chosen people. We've been told that time and time again. We, we know that. We, that's a part of who we are. We get that. And if we're bad, it just illustrates how good he is. So a lot of them saw that in a free, as like a free pass to do whatever they want. And could you blame them given those things? Maybe they're thinking, maybe God's the cool parent. <laughs> you can have a keg in our basement as long as you do it here. Whatever it is. If you've done a keg in the basement, I'm not judging. I'm just, that's just a... <laughs> <laughs> That's just an illustration. But this is where we are. So Paul, again, he sees that they're starting to go down this road, so he kind of throws up this sort of mocking scripture. But then he anticipates that they might be thinking that. You know, that, that hey, we've done all these things, and God's still pretty cool with us, so that means we're pretty special. But he answers this. In Romans 3, 6, I'll just read it to you. May it never be. Now that phrase, may it never be, Paul uses that over and over again. It's one of his favorites, like saying, heaven forbid that should happen. So it's kind of like an exclamation that Paul uses a lot. May it never be, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? Okay, so what he's saying there is God cannot, cannot look the other way over sin and still be a righteous God. 
He can't give a wink and say, I see what you're doing there, and it's bad, and it's against the law, but wink, wink, it's okay this time. He can't do that and still be a righteous judge. And our worship of God, one of the things that is central to that is knowing that he is righteous. Because if he was not a righteous God, let's compare him to um, one of the small g gods, Zeus, or, or somebody like that in Greek mythology. Those gods would just toy with people. They'd be good one time, they'd be fighting with each other the next time. They would use people as pawns to kind of try and just play with them and get their point across to each other. That's not a righteous God. And so your job in that case, if you, if you worshiped them, was just to do everything you could to make them happy and hope that they didn't strike you down with a lightning bolt. But our God is a righteous God. And part of being a righteous God is that there is judgment. There is judgment and there are consequences for our sin. There have to be. There have to be consequences for our sin. Otherwise, God is not a righteous judge. Uh, all the way back in Ecclesiastes, uh, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 14. This is King Solomon, actually, is the author of Ecclesiastes. And he wrote this. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Think about that. Whether it is good or or evil. Okay, we all think, okay, if I do evil, God's going to judge that. We all have at least a vague understanding that that's going to happen, right? But he's going to judge our good also. Now, by judging, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to punish you for doing good. That's not what that means. But what it does mean is that everything we do is going to be looked at. It's going to be examined. And even those things that we do that would seem to be good... If we do it with the wrong heart, he's going to judge that. Now, that sounds very harsh. You mean even if, I, even if I go feed the homeless and I don't do it with the right heart, he's going to judge that? Yeah, because he is a righteous judge. But here's the thing, and here's what we can take away from this. Being a righteous judge means that when we transgress the law, there's a price to be paid for that. There has to be. And we have all been judged guilty already for our transgressions. That's why Jesus was necessary. Jesus paid the price for our sins. It doesn't mean God looked the other way and gave a wink and a nod to let that sin slide. It means that everything that we have done or ever done throughout history has been judged. We have been found Wanting, We have been found in, in, we've needed to be judged. And Jesus took that for us. That's what we can take away from this. Not, not oh, we're all bad people and we're never going to make it. We ought to be thankful in this case that Jesus took that from us. So, again, every act, every act is judged. The good and the bad. And he leads into this, Romans 3.20. I'll just read this one to you. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So if you're thinking like, well, why is there even law if the good and the bad are going to be judged? And if the law is not, you know, we're starting to get fuzzy on 
Why do we even need the law? Well, Paul says right here, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, without rules, without the law, how would we ever know what's right and what's wrong? How would we ever know? We teach our kids what's right, what's wrong, don't do this, don't do that, so that they know the difference between good and bad. And this is what the law is for. Through the law comes our knowledge of sin and our knowledge that we're a long way from the goal. If a perfect, sinless life like Jesus led, that's our goal, we're a long way from that. Because as I read through the law and things I'm supposed to do and I'm not supposed to do, okay, I know that there's no way I'm ever going to do it. And therein lies the point of the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. You'll never be able to do it on your own. So Jesus came to take that and to help us with that. This is where we are. But they might have started to think that, well, so there's actually no hope for us. Okay, if, if we have no hope of ever achieving this. Now, this in some cases was a, was a mind-blowing revelation to the Jewish people in the room. Because, again, they were used to, hey, we follow the law. We're God's chosen people. Okay. But Paul is saying, hey, the law just serves to let you know how far away you are. So they're starting to think like, oh my gosh, do we even have a chance? What chance do we possibly have? Not only do they have a chance, but they have a promise. In the very next verse, Paul outlines this promise, Romans 3, 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What this means Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God, as we know now, manifested in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What he's talking about there is going all the way back to Mosaic law, going all the way back to the various prophets. They were all attesting to a coming righteousness, a higher righteousness than just the words on the paper. This is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, that promise of a righteousness that fulfills the law, a higher righteousness than just the written law, is coming. And it's been prophesied about for eons, okay? And he's referring to that. He's saying it's been coming. It's been coming. So here's your promise, and he's here now. And then just to put an exclamation point on that thought, Romans 3.23, this is, uh, most of us know this one or have at least heard it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Remember, the Jewish side of the room is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and then, and then just, just general Jewish people who don't belong to one of those sects. But from the top down, their whole mission in life was to glorify God by following the law. That's what they spent all their days doing. But Paul is saying, everyone falls short. Everyone. Then he continues this thought. The very next verse in 324, I'll just read it. It says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified as a gift by his grace. So I want to ask everybody this question. If justification is by God's grace, and it's a gift given to us. 
We didn't work for it. We didn't achieve it. It's not, okay, we put in enough credit hours, now we get something to hang on the wall. If it's just a gift from God, is there any way that we can feel self-righteous about attaining that? Is there any way that we should feel superior to those who don't know Jesus simply because we do know him? We didn't work for it. We didn't achieve it. We didn't go to enough Bible studies or, or go to seminary in order to achieve that. It was a gift given to us by God's grace. And if that's the case, what should our response to that be? I'm going to talk about that more in just a little bit. But so many people, and I've done the same thing. I'll be honest with you, I've done the same thing. Feel a sense of superiority because you know Jesus. Because I know Jesus. And I know what's right. And the Holy Spirit will speak to me. And I can pray for guidance. And I can have an assurance that I'm going through and I'm making the right decisions, at least as best I can. But those heathens who don't know the Lord, they're just... They're just on their own. I'll admit that I do that sometimes. But that's a mindset that we should never have. Because the only reason that I know the Lord is because someone shared him with me a long time ago. And then I accepted that and I became hungry to learn more and I ended up giving my life to Christ. I'll bet many of you in this room have an experience where you either remember the person or the place where you were, the time that it happened, when the Lord made himself known to you and you accepted him into your heart finally. And a lot of us have an individual to thank for that. Now, it's a whole other line of teaching to think about, okay, there's the elect, and we'll go into that later, the ones that God chose and foreknew, and we can go all down that road. But many, many times... There was somebody there at the right time when our heart was ready, our heart was open to receive, and somebody was there to share Jesus with us. That doesn't make us better. That should put a burden on our heart to be that person who can share Jesus with someone else. That's where we ought to be. That should be our response to that. So then after this, when they're thinking, Okay, it's a gift. Can you feel superior if it's a gift? Then Paul responds with this, or he actually follows up, Romans 3, 27, 28. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works. No, but by law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So he's saying, hey, there's no, there can't be any bragging in this because you didn't do anything. You're not smart enough. There's not enough time in the day for you to figure it out. By what kind of law of works? No. But then he introduces this concept. But by a law of faith. What is a law of faith? Anybody know what that is? We have the law that's written down in, in Old Testament. Again, at that time, they just called it the scriptures. Because that's what they had. It was the scriptures. They didn't call it old anything. But by a law of faith, this is a new concept to them. What is a law of faith? The law of faith is this. It is, the law of faith is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to give himself for you to fulfill 
all the requirements of the law and to declare you righteous in the eyes of God. This is the law of faith. If you accept the law of faith given to you by grace through Jesus, then you are righteous in God's eyes. This is the law of faith. That law is written on your heart. When you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And with that comes the knowledge of the fulfillment of the law. It, it helps us to interpret the law rather than just words on paper. Because remember, time and time again, Paul and Jesus and all the apostles and everybody teaches that it's not just about following the letter of the law. It's about where your heart is. And we can only know that and we can only hope to follow that by listening to the Holy Spirit in us who will take the law and who will actually put, put legs to it, if you will, the law of faith that shows us how to live our life, what's right, what's wrong. This is where we are. So, again, Paul, being a good teacher, he looks ahead and he's thinking, okay, well, now they may be starting to think, well, then, then are we supposed to just forget the law? That's good, because I can leave all these scrolls at home that I've been carrying into temple every day. If that's not valid anymore, this is great. I can just show up to class with, with no books like the Gentile side of the room does. Good. I thought that was pretty good. So that's probably what they were thinking, but Paul then jumps ahead and he says this. Do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Establish in that context means to stand firm. Meaning we don't nullify the law. Everything you've always been taught, none of that is void. We stand firm on that. But now, through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we have a revelation of what that law really means to us. And this is where we are. This is where Paul actually wraps up, wraps up the... Uh, the chapter, by telling them, no, all this does not mean the law is void. It means it is fulfilled in Jesus. So worship team, you guys can go ahead and start uh, heading up this way. So if we go back to the question that if justification is a gift by faith in Jesus, if it's a free gift given to us simply by having faith in Jesus Christ, can we boast about it at all? The answer is no. But our burden should be that if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we should have a burden, a weight in our heart to share it with them, just as somebody shared it with us one day. This stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. God uses us in his grace and mercy to accomplish his will and his plans and his purposes. He uses us as his messengers, as his ambassadors. And so our burden should be to love someone by sharing the gospel with them. In fact, a little bit later, I've got it on screen. It's our last scripture for the day, Romans chapter 10. So we'll talk about this more in several weeks. But 10.14 says, How then will they call, in him, call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Preacher in this instance doesn't mean Somebody standing up on a pulpit preaching to you. It means someone to speak the truth. Someone to speak the gospel. 
So I want to ask you, when I said earlier, if there's somebody who you're thinking back to a time, and I remember when somebody shared the gospel with me. I remember the first time somebody shared Jesus with me and what it meant for me. Or maybe on the flip side, you can say, I remember sharing the gospel with someone. And here's how that, how that played out in my life. If there's anybody, we have just a minute or two. If anybody has a testimony, something they'd like to share about either receiving the gospel from someone and how it changed them, or maybe being able to share the gospel and how it changed things for them. I'd like to take a second. If anybody has, want to throw up your hand, if anybody's got a testimony that they want to share about that. Thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Emily Gomez. And uh, I remember going to Young Life um, meetings when I was in high school. And, you know, a lot of times it kind of just felt like we were doing things, like we were singing songs and we were praying now, you know. And it wasn't until... This gal, Heidi, my group leader, um, that I really kind of clicked with the gospel and who Jesus really was. It all just kind of seemed like religiosity um, before that and just like um, things to do. But I, she really connected with me personally, and I think God really used her. And um, I gave my life to Christ when I was 17, heading into my senior year. And my mom had moved me into a uh, private Christian school from Chatfield where I was, you know, smoking pot and trying to not go to class and kind of being a goofball. And I was really angry because I had AP classes I was signed up to do. And um, it was totally God's plan because he put Heidi into my life and I felt it was like I felt his um, truth through her and through her just genuine care I guess and um, I ended up giving my life that summer and then it was like God just had it ordained because I ended up in Bible class and it was my favorite class my senior year, so um, that was kind of my story, I guess. Thank you. Thank you. Gabe? Oh, sorry. We'll get back there. I, I knew that there was a God when I was a little girl, and I lived at, we lived at the Air Force Academy. My dad was a professor there, and I saw the mountains, and I knew that I couldn't explain it, but I knew it wasn't random chance. It didn't happen that way. <laughs> but I didn't come to Christ until I was 19, and I lived in a world where we went to church, but it was more of a social religion, and I never heard the gospel. And so at times when um, people came into my life with the gospel or they gave me the word, it, was, it just didn't hit me. It wasn't, it just didn't, I didn't get it. But I met, but I was hungry to know God personally, and I just didn't know where he was. So I visited all these churches in college, and um, I couldn't really, I didn't fit in, or I didn't really feel 
like I understood what was going on, but I met a girl who had had a terrible drug overdose, and she was, you know, an alcoholic. She was smoking constantly, and I thought her life was a mess, but I, I didn't meet her. I heard about her from a friend. I didn't meet her until, until she'd gotten saved, and when I saw her, she was so beautiful, I, I thought, it doesn't match what I knew about her. So we were up in the mountains on a camping trip, and a, a bear could have touched me on the shoulder. It was dark. There was nobody around except these three girls around the campfire. And I looked at this girl named Sherry, and I said, what is different about you? And as soon as I said that, it's like the Holy Spirit showed up for me. And she starts telling me her story. Well, I was in the hospital for three months. I'm throwing up you know, all this stuff, and all this is happening. And I look up to the ceiling. And I see this crack on the ceiling, and I said, God, if you're real, this is what she told me. She said, I just said, God, if you're real, will you show me? And as soon as she said that, I burst into tears because I knew the rest of the story because I could see. She was whole, and she was awesome. So I got saved at 19, and um, as a result of that, when challenges came in my family, I prayed, and God helped my family. And um, I just have seen so many miracles. My life has never been the same since then. And I know that Jesus um, set me free from my sin and that I live a life of, I'm not perfect, but I'm free. And Good afternoon. Good morning, guys. Um, I'm Gary Miller. I'm one of the uh, board here, in case you didn't know that. And my story is going to be a little quicker than, than those. I joined the Navy when I was out of high school, and I went through a program, and I went, and I became a flyer, an officer and a flyer. And so we were flying in our C-130s from base to base, and as sailors do as the joke goes and as people go do as the reality is they would we they would go out and have drinks and stuff after we finished our flights before you know before we were going to have to fly again and one of the guys on my crew the guy who had actually sponsored me he was a different kind of person like she was saying something different about that guy and I think that the Lord was tugging on me at that time and Anna had already been been saved many moons ago but she was waiting on me and uh, so I noticed that and it, over a period of months noticing and realizing that the drinking and the whatever was not what I wanted to be doing then I finally ended up turning my life over to Jesus and many many moons later I'm here <laughs> so per only one per okay he told me to tell you all this um God hears rebels, because I was a rebel. I was a rebel, and you know, the prayer book that we're all going through says, 
um, by Jim Simbala says, God hears all of us. It doesn't matter if we're saved yet or not. In one conversation with God, we can go from rebel to child. And that's what happened. So I just wanted to share that too. Nice. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. All right. So we have, I know everybody's got one. I've got my own that I'd love to share sometime. But Pastor Jack had one that he shared with us last night that is the perfect embodiment of the point that I'm trying to get across. I'd like him to share that again if he could. So when uh, I was about 25, 26 years old, I was a uh, personal injury claims representative for Farmers Insurance. And I dealt with the people that were in pain all the time. And they were dealing with injuries from car accidents and things like that. And there was this one lady that, uh, her name was Mary. And... um, I used to pray for her all the time because she kept having surgeries and it wasn't even that bad of a car accident. Um, she couldn't get relief from her pain. And so one day I'm sitting there in my cubicle at work surrounded by a bunch of people and God says, tell her about me. I'm like, no, no, I can't do that. I'm at work, you know. He says, no, I'm telling you, tell her about me. So I said, Mary, I said, you know, I said, we've talked long enough. I think you kind of know who I am personally. Can I talk to you as a friend and not as an employee of Farmers Insurance? And she's like, yeah, of course. I said, God keeps telling me to tell you about him. Do you, can I talk to you about Jesus? And she said, yeah. And so I shared the gospel with her and uh, sitting there in my cubicle and prayed with her and she accepted the Lord over the phone there. What was really cool about that is two weeks later, she was in heaven. She died on the operating table. Um, and about a month later, I got a card from her husband saying, thank you so much for sharing Jesus with my wife because now she's in heaven and my family and I are all Christians, and we know we'll see her again. So my encouragement to you is if, if God is impressing on you to talk to somebody about him or to share your faith with him, do it. Don't ignore that, that, that leading, that calling, that still small voice that's saying, go share that. Go share me with that person. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. So when we know that we get this gift for free, our burden should be to share that gift with others, not to just hold it and say, this is my thing and now somehow I'm better. Our burden should truly be to share because the common thread in a lot of these testimonies were that somebody was bold enough to step out and share Jesus with someone. Okay, she could just speak loud. Oh, there we are. Good, good. In that verse, right after he talks about the armor of God, he's actually asking for prayer. He's asking them to pray for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And it's like, you know, I think as believers, sometimes we're sugarcoating and we're stepping and dancing around the gospel because we're like, we're just timid. 
But the Holy Spirit is in us to empower us to be bold. And I mean, I can think of, I mean, this verse was revealed to me this week in an instance where I was like, oh, I don't want to be that direct and actually quote a scripture to my daughter who always rolls her eyes and, and mocks me <laughs> when, she, when she hears this verse, you know, me talking in, you know, Bible, you know, but it's like God gave me the Bible verse and I, and I, um, and he gave me the wisdom to how to share it. And I just want to encourage you that those of you who shrink back because you think that mentally these people aren't getting it or they roll their eyes or they, they, they shut down. And, and the Lord reminded me that, that this word is a sword and it pierces their spirit. You might not see anything in the natural. You might not see, you might not see anything facial that receives it, any aha moment in them. But you need to know that in the spiritual, that word is penetrating. And you don't have to bash him with the Bible. But God does, does impress words upon your heart that you need to be faithful and bold to speak it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So on that, since that's about three-fourths of what I was going to say, thank you. What I want to do is just lead us in prayer. We have communion, so if you're newer here, we do communion every single service, and, and communion is open to anyone who confesses that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, so you don't have to be a member or anything like that. At the crosses, at both crosses here, we have juice, and we have bread and gluten-free crackers, and you can just dip it in the juice and take communion there if you want to do it yourself or serve your family. Up front here, Gabe and I will be up front. We've got the same thing, but we've got wine up here, so if you'd like to be served that, we have that up there. But let's do it with thankful hearts that Jesus did pay that price for us to justify us, to wipe us clean from our sins and our transgressions so that we can be righteous in the eyes of the Lord. And through that, we receive all the benefits of his glory we receive. So let's be thankful for that. But before we do that, I just want to pray. I want to pray for boldness. As Melinda said, boldness to go out and do what the Lord has asked us to do. There are very few things he asks us to do explicitly when we receive him. And one was go forth and make disciples. The other one was to love the Lord and to love your neighbor. Pretty much the extent of the three things that he said, do this. So let's pray for that boldness. Would you just join me in this? Father God, we just thank you that through what Jesus did, we are not only righteous in you, but we are equipped. We are equipped by your Holy Spirit to go forth and do what the Lord Jesus has asked us to do. And that is to share the gospel of who he is with people who don't know him. Father, you could make him known to everyone all the time. You don't need us. But in your grace and your mercy, you give us the opportunity to serve in your kingdom, to experience the joy of being able to share the knowledge of Jesus with somebody who doesn't know them. So, Father, I just pray for a spirit of boldness to come upon everybody that's here when you show them who they should share the gospel with. It's not a matter of going out and sharing the gospel with the first person you see. It's a matter of being led by the Lord to the right person at the right time. And I just pray that we would have not only the boldness, but Lord, we know you promise us that we'll have the words to say. 
So we don't have to worry about knowing enough of the Bible or quoting scripture. We don't need any of that. All we need to do is be a reflection of who you are. And you have put that inside us. So help us to step aside in the flesh and help us to present the righteousness in you that you have gifted us with. Father, we thank you and we praise you today and every day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church.
stepping out in bravery. And if you need that in your life right now, just step out. Take a step of faith. And uh, we want you to experience that breakthrough that God has for you.
just close your eyes and just be with him right now. Just see him in your mind's eye and just go before his throne right now. He wants you there. Just see yourself bowing before him and just enjoying, soaking in his presence right now. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence here with us. Holy Spirit, have your way and move in us and speak to us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your firm foundation of love. We put our trust in you. We can come freely before you, Jesus. Freely we enter into your presence. drive the darkness away. Hallelujah. My fear 
doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Just sing that again. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. When darkness tries to roll over When sorrow comes to steal the joy I hold When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance
today. There is no fear in the Holy Spirit. There is no fear in Jesus. There is no fear in God. We bless you guys. We're going to say one more, but we invite you to stay around. But if you got to be dismissed, we invite you to do that too. We're going to raise the hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord.
hear my friend.